You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. seeking life. It's the thing that uh, we, we look for that we think is going to finally make us happy, that's finally going to make us feel content, that, that's finally going to complete us. We, we look for life in so many other sources. You see, the Word of God says that He is the life. He is our only life. Do you, do you know that? And, and we look for life in, in so many other sources. Uh, we look for it in the next high. We, we look for it in the next drunk. We look for it in the next party, in the next romp in bed. We look for life in the next thrill, in the next vacation, in the next relationship. We look for life in in excelling or in uh, success. But can I tell you that there is no other source. The only place that we can find life is in Jesus. I've looked for it in every other source. Let me save you a whole lot of pain and heartache. He is the only place. The Bible says that we have died and our real life is hidden with Christ and God. I love that. For we have died and our real life. Do you understand your real life, the one you're searching for, is hidden with Christ in God. And that word life there is Zoe. It means the absolute fullness of life. It means the real, genuine, active, vigorous life. It means a blessed life. Anybody besides me want to live a blessed life. You see, the other places we find life is temporary, but this is, this is life that we find in Christ. Our real life is hidden with Christ in God. That word hidden is interesting. It means to hide, conceal, to be hidden. It means to escape notice. <laughs> My life was hidden with Christ in God, my real life is. It's hidden. Something that's hidden you have to go look for. It might escape your notice if you don't. I wonder how many of you are sitting here tonight looking for life in all the wrong places because your real life has escaped your notice. You don't understand that it's hidden with Christ in God. How do we find it? Well, Psalm 91 tells us that we find it by dwelling in his presence. Last week, we talked about uh, this Psalm 91 and how God's promises, who knows that God's promises are yea and amen for those who believe. This word is filled with his promises. Uh, one of the things that really concerns me about the church today is we're not stressing scriptural memorization anymore. We don't have our people in the word of God. How can you understand his promises? How can you know his promises if you're not storing them up within you? How can you walk in them and claim them if it's not being stored up within you. We've got to know his promises, and the Bible says that they're yea and amen for those who believe. He's a promise keeper. He means what he says. These are his promises, and you can trust him to fulfill them in your life. And so last week we were talking about Psalm 91 being a promise of God. And I said to you that there are conditional promises and there are unconditional promises. And unconditional promises, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You don't have to meet a condition for God to fulfill that promise in your life. That's just who he is. But a conditional promise, that's Psalm 91, it's a conditional promise. That means there's a condition attached to it. 
the condition attached to, to Psalm 91, the, 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 the Psalm of protection, is that you dwell in his presence. Uh, let, let's take a look at that passage. Leslie, can you just give me my phone? I want to read it to you in the message. I just, I just think it's, it's just, uh, I was reading through it tonight and I was struck by, by, by the tr- by the paraphrase that we find in the message. If you have your Bibles, you can open them uh, to Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of his wing. That's the promise. If you dwell, you will abide under the shadow of his wing, under his protection. But listen to it in the message. You who sit down in in the high God's presence, spend the night in Shaddai's shadow. Say this, God, you are my refuge. I trust in you, and I'm safe. That's right. He he rescues you from hidden traps, shields you from deadly hazards. His huge, outstretched arms protect you. Under them, you're perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. Fear nothing, not wild wolves in the night, not flying arrows in the day, not disease that prowls through the darkness, nor disaster that erupts at high noon. Even though others succumb around and drop like flies right and left, no harm will even graze you. You'll stand untouched, watch it all from a distance, watch the wicked turn into corpses. Yes, because God is your refuge. The high God, your very own home. Evil can't get close to you. Harm can't get through the door. He ordered his angels to guard you wherever you go. If you stumble, they'll catch you. Their job is to keep you from falling. You'll walk unharmed among lions and snakes and kick young lions and serpents from the path. If you'll hold on to me for dear life, says God, I'll get you out of any trouble. I'll give you the best care. If only you'll get to know and trust me. Call me and I'll answer. Be at your side in bad times. I'll rescue you, then throw you a party. I'll give you a long life. I'll give you a long drink of salvation, of deliverance of prosperity, of wholeness. Anybody besides me need a long drink of that. And that's his promise. And those promises he means. He means every last word of that psalm. But there is a condition applied to it. And the condition is that we abide, that we dwell, that we live, that we sit down in the presence of God. We talked last week about how that word dwell means I'm not going anywhere. It's, it's a permanent place. But, but sometimes we get to a point where we just want to abide. We, it, that means you just lodge overnight. It's a temporary thing. You have a choice where you want to spend your life. Do you want to spend it in the presence of God? Or do you want to just go there when you have a need and live your life the way you want to live it the rest of the time? It's a choice, but I'm here to tell you that your real life, the fullness of life, cannot be found in any other place than in his presence. And the way we get into his presence is by dwelling. And that word dwell, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a verb, it's an action word. And, and verbs require action on our part. It's something we must do. We are the ones who make the Lord our dwelling place. We choose where we're going to dwell, where we're going to live. What I see all the time is people who choose to dwell and live in unforgiveness. People who choose to dwell and live in bitterness or self-pity. That's the one that really gets me. I think, woe is me. Let me just dwell there and live there. Rock on with your bad self. That's a miserable place to live. Do you know that your real life, your full life, the fullness of life is hidden with Christ and God? 
Why would you choose to dwell in self-pity and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and self-hatred when you can dwell with God in his presence and experience the fullness of life? There is no other place that you can experience, that you can try all those other sources, but I promise you they will let you down. We have to choose to stay in his presence. And, and that takes intentionality. That, 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 that takes, you have to purpose it. I am going to purpose to be in his presence today. I'm going to purpose to have an awareness of his presence everywhere I go. One commentator said, it's about habitation. It's not about visitation. You see, that's what we want to do. We just want to stay the night in his presence. We just want to abide there for a little bit and then go do what we want to do. But he says, if you dwell, if you live in my presence, you're going to experience joy. You see, in his presence is fullness of joy. In his presence is perfect peace. There's liberty, there's freedom. In his presence. Why would you want to dwell anyplace else? You, you can get out from under that, that protection of his presence and you can dwell in anger and unforgiveness and hatred and self-pity. But you are not going to experience the fullness of life. So stay there if you want. But I'm telling you, there is fullness of life to be found in Christ and Christ alone. Because you have died and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Matthew Henry says, the person who dwells in God, this is the man who turns to God, who rests in God, who worships within the veil, who loves to be alone with God, and nothing but nothing comes between this man and God. But God will come between this man and danger. That's what Psalm 91 is all about. It's a psalm of protection. I want to read that, that Colossians 3.1 that talks about our life being hidden with, with Christ and God. I want to read that to you in the Amplified. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ. I wonder if everybody here has been raised with Christ. You see, this is a condition here. You've got to know him as your Lord and Savior. You've got to die. Let the old man die and be resurrected into new life. So if then you've been raised with Christ to a new life, Thus sharing his resurrection from the dead, here it is, aim at and seek the rich eternal treasures that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind and keep them set on what is above the higher things, not on the things of this earth. I like that, but, but set your mind and keep them set. Set your minds and keep them set on the higher things, on the things above, not on the things of this earth. You see, some of your minds are set on getting ahead. Some of your minds are set on getting revenge. Some of your minds are set on, oh, on what you're going to do tomorrow and how, 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 if you can just get six months down the line, when you finally get to that vacation, everything will be good. Some of your minds are set on finding a spouse. Some of your minds are set on making more money. Some of your minds are set on just getting out of this town and getting someplace warm. But God says, set your mind on the higher things. Those are the lower things. What would happen if throughout our day, we started to take an inventory of what we're thinking on? What are we setting our minds on? Is it the higher thing or the lower thing? 
Today I was talking to Les and, and, and she reminded me I was thinking on the lower things and I needed to set my mind and fix it on the things above, the higher things. Don't go to those lower things because they will drain you of life. The only place we can find life is in his presence because our real life, the fullness of life, is hidden with Christ in God and we have to seek something that's hidden. So it says, and set your mind and keep them set on what is above the higher things, not on the things that are on the earth. For as far as this world is concerned, you have died. Ooh, I don't like that. We're gonna talk more about that tonight. For you have died and your new real life is hidden with Christ in God. Dwelling in that secret place means I must aim and seek him. I'm going to require of him as my only necessity, not man, not Dave, not, not, not money, not a job, not friendship, not success, not an addiction. I am going to require him as my only necessity. I must learn to seek him with all of my heart because his word says that when I do, I will be found by him. And my friends, that is the secret place. We must learn to experience God on our own, not wait for a pastor to take us there or teach us about him, but to seek him with all of our heart. We must stop expecting life to be found in another person and start understanding there is only one source of life. You can't do it for me, I'm sorry. You might drain me of life. These are the rich eternal treasures of life, not money, not material things, not the love of man, not the approval of man. We must aim at and seek the things above. That's what I wanna talk to you about tonight. I I want to talk to you about God's presence and how to get there. Uh, I just think that's good. I think sometimes we don't even know how to get in God's presence. We think because he's Emmanuel, God with us, we live in his presence. Oh, I just wanna talk to you a little bit about that tonight. What does it mean to get in God's presence? So many of us know about God, but we rarely experience his presence in our life. So many of us are are after his power, after his miracles, after the stuff he can do for us, but it's his presence he wants us to crave. I love the scripture that says, seek my face. Seek my face, and that word face means presence. He says, seek my face and not my hand. So often we're after what God can do for us instead of seeking his face. All I need is your presence. Because in your presence is the answer to everything. That's my fullness of life. That's my source of life. It's in his presence that we're transformed. It's in his presence that we live with a sense of peace no matter what's happening around us. It's in his presence that we find the fullness of joy. It's in his presence, his glory, that that 2 Corinthians 3 says we get transformed into the image of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I really get sick of Rhea. Sometimes I get so frustrated with myself and the way I behave, and and I want to be transformed. Anybody besides me really want this Bible to work in your life. I don't want to be the person I was last week. I don't want to be the person I was last year. I don't even want to be the person I was yesterday. I want to be transformed. And the Bible says that when I get in his glory, I'll be transformed from glory to glory to glory to glory. But the key is getting into his presence getting into his glory. How does that happen? How does that happen? 
And, and how do I learn to dwell there? How do I learn to live there? Learning the importance and the value of walking in God's presence is vital for us as believers. Learning to remain conscious of his presence and aware of him uh, being God with us. I, I think it was Bill Johnson who said, if I had a dove on my shoulder, what would I do so he wouldn't fly away? Everything I would do, I would do with an awareness of the dove on my shoulder. Everything I did, I would do with an awareness. And that's what we do. We want God's presence, but we don't walk with an awareness of it. We don't understand that everything we do, we have to do with an awareness that his presence is with us. And I don't want anything to make that dove fly away. Say, well, Rhea, God isn't going to do that. Well, I told you last week, we're not talking about relationship here. Come on, we're going to grow up and we're going to mature as believers and we're going to understand that not everything we can point back to and say, well, God's presence isn't going to go anywhere. He's God with me. I'm saved, once saved, always saved. We're saved by grace. I'm really tired of that elementary behavior. You are saved by grace. Absolutely, positively, nothing is ever, ever, ever going to change that. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. Just receive it by grace. Grace has saved you and not works. But dear one, there is a whole lot of difference between being saved and in relationship with God and being in fellowship with God. There is a whole lot of difference. And you see, as Christians, we are content just to be in relationship. I am a child of God, absolutely, and nothing can separate you from his love. But I don't want to be satisfied there. Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. In his presence, it's a place of great protection. In his presence, and you're going to find that out soon, is a place of great power, of authority. I can be satisfied with relationship, but you see, there's something about pressing through and getting in his presence where the power comes. Are we content to just be in relationship? When we can walk in intimacy, in fellowship, under the shelter of his wing, under the protection of his presence where no harm can befall us. So I want to talk to you uh, about that tonight. I, I want to talk to you about learning that the only way to walk in victory and gain victory over some hard things in our life is to walk constantly with an awareness of his presence and power in our life. So many of us are content to live Monday through Saturday doing our own thing with no thought of God. And then going to church on Sunday morning or Bible study Monday night and wanting desperately to be moved or touched by him. But we haven't lived conscious of his presence all week long. Moses knew that this was important. In Exodus 33, we, we read where God says to Moses, now you've brought the people out of Egypt. You've delivered them out of bondage. I promised you I was going to take you into a land flowing with milk and honey. Now I'm going to send some angels with you, and they're going to defeat all your enemies, and you're going to go in and take that land. And Moses says, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> if your presence isn't going with me, I'm not going anywhere. That's Rhea's rendition, but that's what he says. He says, if your presence, if you're, if you're not going with us, I'm not going. I don't care how many angels you send. I don't care how good the land is. If your presence isn't going with me, I'm not going. You see, Moses knew that he had no way to defeat the enemy, no assurance of victory, and he would enjoy no prosperity unless God's presence went with him, and the same is true of us. How do we do that practically? 
We see it in the life of Moses. After he, after he uh, brought the people out of Egypt, delivered them from bondage, God told Moses to build him a sanctuary, a tabernacle, so that he could dwell among his people. We see that in Exodus 25 and 26. And, uh, because God wanted to dwell with his people. You see, that's why when he created Adam and Eve, he created Adam and Eve for fellowship. The Bible says that he walked with them in the garden. Oh, do you love that? He walked in fellowship. Can you imagine walking with God like that? Hello, God, he just comes to the garden and walks with you every day. I can't even imagine what that must have been like. I love in Exodus 20, I think it's 26, and, and I don't have this in my notes, so forgive me for just searching here, but, but I believe it's in Exodus 20, I thought it was Exodus 26. Somebody will probably correct me and tell me, but um, it said, oh no, it's Exodus 33. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Oh, don't you love that? So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Oh Lord, I want you to talk to me like that. The Lord wants to talk to us like that. The Bible says that he wants to dwell among his people. And when he created Adam and Eve, he created them to walk in fellowship with them. But you know the story. Sin came into the picture. It separated them from God. And the rest is history. And, but God wants to dwell with his people. And so when his people came out of bondage, he said to Moses, build me a sanctuary so that I can dwell with my people. I can tabernacle with my people. I can pitch a tent among my people. And we see in Exodus, he came to Moses and he was very, very careful. And, and he said, here are the instructions for building the sanctuary. He was very specific. He gave specific measurements. He gave specific details. And he said to Moses, make sure, make sure you follow this pattern. Don't veer off. I want you to follow this exact pattern. That must have been important because we see in Hebrews, Hebrews 8, it says it again. He, he reiterates and he says, now this is a pattern. The pattern here is a type and shadow of what is happening in heaven. So make sure you follow the instructions. Make sure you get every detail right. Well, I'm just going to tell you it's just the kind of person I am. It's the way I study. I look for that kind of thing in the word of God. If he stresses something like that, I want to know why. Why was he so specific about the details of the, of, of the tabernacle? Why did he go to all those explicit details? Why was it so important? Why are we told in the New Testament and the Old Testament, make sure you follow the pattern to the T? There must be a reason for that. I want to know, and we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. If God was so explicit about the details, the details must be important. There must be some significance to it. It tells me I better study it. There's something deeper there. So God tells Moses to build the sanctuary. It's going to be a portable sanctuary so that God could dwell with his people. And when his people moved, he would move. So it has to be portable. So you have to be able to pack it up and take it with you because <laughs> they're in the wilderness. And you know the story. We talked about the cloud tonight, but you know there was a fire uh, by night and a cloud by day, and, and it hovered over this tabernacle, this, this dwelling place of God. And what it was is it said to the people, I'm with you. I'm not God far off up in heaven. I am here among you. Oh, can I tell you he's with you? You might feel alone, but it is a lie from the pit of hell. You are not alone. Kelsey's saying it tonight. He is God with you. He is dwelling within you. In fact, he says that you and I are a tabernacle for him, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that he now dwells, he tabernacles within us. 
Oh, that's so good. We're going to get to that. Don't let me get ahead of myself. He's God with you. And so when, when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they felt forsaken by God, they could just look at that tabernacle. They could look at that big old cloud or the fire that would hover over it and they could know that the presence of God was there with them. The presence of God is here with you tonight, can I tell you? The presence of God is with you when you're driving home. The presence of God is with you when you sleep. Oh, the Bible says that he gives to his beloved even as she sleeps. That's one of my favorite scriptures. You can't escape him. The Bible says when you go to the depths, he's there. <laughs> You try to run away from him, he's there. Even there, he'll find you. He's relentless in his love for you. The tabernacle was symbolic of God's presence with them, but it was also known as the tent of meeting. It was a place where they met with God. And, and, and the Bible gave us specific details about the approach to God and to his presence in that tabernacle. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight because it was, it's so important that we get those details because we're told again in the, in the New Testament, make sure you pay attention to those details. It's a type and shadow of what's in heaven. So we're gonna look at some of those details tonight. But I want you to see one more thing. The cloud, every time God would want to get them to move to go to a new place, the cloud would start to move and they, would, they were to follow the cloud or they were to follow the fire. And, and that was God moving and being ahead of them, leading the way, are you with me? But there were some who didn't follow the cloud. Do you know what happened? When they were rebellious and they didn't stay under the protection of the cloud, what happened? Their enemies overtook them. They came outside of God's protection and, and the word says they were destroyed by their enemies. See that's Psalm 91. In the secret of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. When he moves, I'm moving with him. If he's working over here, I'm over here with him. If he says, Rhea, let's do this, I'm going with him because I'm telling you, I can't trust myself outside of it. When we walk outside his will, outside his word, we're outside his protection. That Old Testament tabernacle gives us a picture of how we can get into the presence of God. Oh, Don, do we have the first picture? Uh, yes, look at this. I, I hope that you, can y'all see that? No. Well, let's hope you can. This is, this is the arrangement. Who knows that there were 12 tribes of Israel? And this is the setup of how they camped. Uh, you can see that the three tribes on each side, the 12 tribes are all around there and they're camping around the tabernacle. Oh, when, I, when I saw that, I thought to myself, isn't that really some of us? We're content to just camp around the presence of God. Don't let me get too close. We camp around it, but we never really see his glory. We never experience his, his presence, but we're content to camp around it. Notice that when you're on the outside, you can't see what's going on on the inside. You'll see this, Don. is there a picture of the tabernacle with the walls, that you can see the walls around it? Yes, look at that. See how all those walls are built around the tabernacle? From the outside, you can't see what's happening on the inside. It, it's veiled. And isn't that how it is in our life without God? When we want to stay outside his presence, when we're content to just get by, well, when we really don't want too much of God, we just won't be able to come to church and not get committed too far. And, you know, because Rhea's a little whacked, and I don't want to be like her, but, but we're content to just live outside and, and, and observe. 
You can't observe too much. You're not going to see very much because it's going to be veiled. You've got to get inside those courts to see what's really going on. The Bible says you enter his gate with thanksgiving and his courts with what? Praise. That's how we're going to see you get in there. But I want you to notice, look at those walls all around the tabernacle. There's no entrance point but one. Do you see that? There's no way to get to God's presence. Remember, the tabernacle is going to be symbolic of God's presence. There's no way to get into God's presence but one. Jesus says, no man cometh unto the Father except by me. That little entranceway there is called a gate. What does Jesus call himself? The gate. He is the only way. Can I just tell you, dear one, I could preach myself till I was blue in the face tonight. I could preach myself ragged up here, but, but it wouldn't do you any good at all if you don't know him as the gate. If you haven't entered into him, if you haven't given him your life, if you haven't realized there is no way for you to get to heaven except through him. You can work all you want. You can give as much money as you want to the church. You can be as good as you think you can be, but I promise you, you can't be good enough. How good do you have to be to stand before a perfect father? Perfect. Good luck with that. There is only one way to get to heaven, and it's through Jesus. And can I tell you, it's a free gift. You don't have to work for it. You just have to receive it. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. What I earn, I work at Elmbrook and, and I get a paycheck at the end of two weeks and I earn those wages. Trust me, I work hard, I earn those wages. And the Bible says that the wages of sin, what you get for sinning is death. Eternal separation from God. I know we don't preach it anymore, but I'm just gonna tell you it's hell. There is a heaven and there's a hell. And without Jesus, dear one, I don't care how good you think you are, you're headed to hell. There is only one way to heaven and it's through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. He is the gate. He is the entrance to God's presence. So if you don't know Jesus, please don't leave here tonight without him. Come talk to me. Give me the pleasure of praying with you. But it's a gift. The wages is something you earn, but the gift of God is eternal life. If I had a present up here, Jewel, if I wanted to give you a present, what would you have to do, darling? She'd have to come and take it, and she could hold that present in her lap. Let's say I wrapped it up really nicely, because he comes wrapped really nicely. Let's say I wrapped it up really nicely, and she just thought, I don't want to mess up that paper. Dave's funny. When he gets a gift, he'll take the paper off really easily, because, you know, he's, he likes to he's cheat. Likes to recycle. <laughs> but let's say Jewel really liked my wrapping paper and she didn't want to mess it up. Could she ever enjoy that gift? No. She'd have to unwrap it and make it her own. And God has given you a gift and his name is Jesus and you have to take it. That's it. He's offering it to you. It's a free gift. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good enough. It's a free gift. Just take it. Take it and enjoy it. Enjoy the fullness of life that you'll find in him. But anyway, there's one gate and there's one entranceway into the presence. Remember, we're talking about the presence of God. And, and in order to get into the presence of God, we enter through the gate. And once we get inside of that gate, the Bible says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, that you died for me. Thank you, Lord, that you, you paid for my sin. Thank you for the forgiveness that's mine because of what you did on the cross of Calvary. Thank you for who you are, that you are God Almighty. Thank you that you're with me like a mighty warrior. We enter his gates. These are the gates with thanksgiving. 
and his courts. Now, Don, do we have something that, that identifies the courts? Okay, there's the gate. The red line is the gate. And now we're entering the court where it says the bronze altar and the, the laver, the laver. That is the, the outer court. Mm. Oh, I could park there for a little bit, but I'm not. The outer court could really have a lot of people in it. When you got deep into that inner court, and especially the holiest place, the most holy place, you know how many people could be there? The most holy place is the presence of God. Do you know how many people could be in that area? One. You see, in order to get into the presence of God, dear one, I can't take Davy with me. I can't expect Leslie to help me get there. I have got to make the decision to become a dweller, to say, I am going to get in your presence, Lord. I am going to seek you till I can't seek you anymore because you promised that when I do, I'll be found by you. And if there's truly fullness of joy there, I want it, and I am going to go for it with everything I have. But you see, we want to take everybody with us. We want to do what everybody else is doing. <laughs> we want to look cool. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves. We don't want to be too whacked out. We don't, you know, you know. I just want to be in the in group. Rock on with your bad self. That's the outer court. Lots of people there. No presence of God there. So then we get to that outer court, and now we're through the gate. And see, that's where a lot of Christians are still stuck. You're through the gate. You're going to heaven. <laughs> but what's the first thing that we see there? The bronze altar. And, and, and that's just so interesting to me. The bronze altar is the place of sacrifice. And, and, and I just, oh, first, let me just go back and say that, that only the priest could come in there. You say, well, Rhea, I'm not a priest. Yes, you are. The Bible says that you are the priesthood of, uh, of believers now, that, that you've accepted Jesus Christ, that you've come through the gate. You now become a priest. Do you know that? He calls you a priest. And, oh, it's important that we, I wish I had more time to teach on this, but it's really important that we look at the priest because the priest would be dressed in white when they entered in there. <laughs> And they wore these turbans on their head. And that one of the turbans, see, that God, God had a really specific detail for that as well. He said, I want you to have a gold plate on their turban. And I want it to say, holiness unto the Lord. Mm. I wonder how important that is to us today. Is holiness really important to us today? I'm saved by grace. He understands I messed up. He understands I'm, I'm dust. It's okay, Rhea. Yep. Holiness unto the Lord. You say, well, Rhea, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Absolutely, we're going to learn that. Holiness unto the Lord. Because the Bible says without holiness, no one can see the Lord. Oria, he told me I can come boldly into his presence. Yes, absolutely you can, but not carelessly into his presence. And we're going to learn the difference. Stick with me. And so you're a priest now, and, and, and priests wear white because they're pure, and, and you are pure. You've been washed with the blood of Jesus. You've been cleansed by his blood. You are pure. He's removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. That's just great, isn't it? So now we need to behave like one. 
And so we enter his gates and we get to the bronze altar and the place of, that's a place of sacrifice. It is a place, and it's interesting to me that this was a place that was always burning. There was a constant fire there. It was always ready. And, and you see, that's a picture of the cross. It's a, it's a picture of Christ atoning. You see, the Bible says that there must be blood because the life of an animal, the life of you and me is in our blood. You take our blood away, we're gonna die. The life of a person, the life of, a, of an animal is in its body, in, in his blood. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, stay with me here, in the go back to the garden, they were walking with God in fellowship and, and they were walking in, in, in friendship with him and then they sinned and it separated them from God and, and God says, you can do anything you want here, just don't eat of that one tree. Well, the second God turned his back, they trucked to the one tree and they ate of it and they sinned. And sin separated them because God said, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Because the wages of sin is death. The wages of disobeying God, uh, disobeying God is death. He means what he says. I promise you he does. And so when he says the wages of sin is death, he means it. And so when he said to Adam and Eve, you can't eat of that tree or you will surely die, he meant it. And so he comes back and they, they're hiding because they know he means what he says and they're afraid they're gonna die and now they're naked and they're, not ash- they're, un- they're, they're ashamed. Before they were naked and unashamed, they were exposed and they were, they were unashamed, but now they're aware of their nakedness and they're hiding from God. You see, that's what sin will do when you know you're naughty, when you know you've disobeyed God, when you know you're not living in a way that's pleasing to him, it'll make you hide, but guess what? He knows where you are. I love it. He comes in the garden, and he says, where are you? And you just wanna say, God, you're a God who knows everything. You know where they are. And he said, did I not tell you you shouldn't have eaten of that tree? And then God takes, we see in the next verse, that he takes an animal and he sheds its blood and he covers their nakedness with that animal. Oh, it's what he did for us with Christ. Do you see that? You say the wages of sin is death. There must be death. Somebody's got to die for what I did. Can I tell you? I did everything I could possibly do. There is absolutely nothing. You could come up here and say, Rhea, I did this, that I wouldn't be able to say, mm, me too. I'm just telling you, naughty, 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 naughty. I'm with the Apostle Paul when he said, the, I, I am, <laughs> they don't get any worse than me. If anybody's deserving of hell, let me just tell you, you are looking at her right here. I earned the wages. I earned a really good wages. I earned them, every last one of them. <laughs> there must be blood. Somebody's gotta shed it. Somebody's gotta pay for those. Somebody's gotta pay the wages, Rhea. And I don't want it to be you. I, I'm going I'm to do what I did for Adam and Eve. I'm going to find a sacrifice. I'm going to find a substitute so that you don't have to die, Rhea. And you see, that's what happened there in that bronze altar. All the people would sin and they knew they needed to atone because the wrath of God. They knew they, knew they needed somebody to pay and they didn't want it to be them. And so God said, I'll let you bring a substitute. There has to be blood. And so you can bring a substitute. It has to be perfect. It has to be without blemish. But you can find an animal and you can bring it and it can atone for your sin. That priest will kill it. It'll shed blood. And that blood will be shed instead of your blood. Are you with me? And it's a picture. So that's what happened to the Israelites. They would bring animals. The fire was constantly burning. They could bring them at any time. And they bring these animals that were without blemish, that were perfect. 
The priests would slaughter them. Their sins would be atoned for, paid for. It's a picture of the cross for us. That bronze altar is a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. It's a place of sacrifice where he says, the Bible says that he was the once and for all sacrifice. You see, we don't have to bring animals anymore. We don't have to find a substitute anymore. We don't have to drive ourselves crazy trying to find an animal that's without blemish because he was without spot. He was without wrinkle. He had no blemish. He was perfect in every way. And the Bible says that he was our substitute and he was the once and for all sacrifice. You didn't have to keep bringing animals anymore because he was the once and for all. He shed his blood for every last sin that you and I committed. I don't care what you do next week, his blood was shed for it. He paid the price. Oh, that's the gift. That's the gift. And so when we get through the gate, the first realization we have is, oh my goodness, you shed your blood for me. I owed a debt I couldn't pay and you paid one you didn't owe just so that I could be free. You atoned for my sin. You paid the price so I could be free. If that doesn't make you praise him, I don't know what will. But you see, I can't approach that bronze altar without understanding it's a place of sacrifice, not only for Christ, but it has to be one for me. And the Bible says that we need to present ourselves now to God as a living sacrifice. I'm going to die here. And you see, dying is just saying, I'm going to give up what I want, and I'm going to start living for what you want, Lord. I'm going to give up doing it my way, and I'm going to begin to live and do your way because I believe it's right, and I'm going to present myself as a living sacrifice. I'm going to be alive, I'm going to be breathing, but I'm going to die daily. I'm going to die daily to what I want. See, some of us need to learn to die. Die to your anger, die to having your own way, die to your pout, dying to have to be right, dying to to an addiction, dying to whatever it is you need to die to. We need to learn to die daily. Paul says, I die daily. How many of you are fasting? I said to Kendall tonight, we need to pray mama's got some strength because I am gonna go to bed hungry. And I'm really hungry. And I really want some French fries. But I'm bringing my body under submission because if I can't say no to this, I am never gonna be able to say no to sin. I have to learn that when my flesh screams, I can die. I can say, get back down there where you belong. My spirit is strong. And we present ourselves to God a living sacrifice. I wanna have a meltdown right now, Lord, but I am gonna present myself as a living sacrifice. I'm gonna die to this thing. I'm gonna die to jealousy. I'm gonna die to envy. I'm gonna die to gossip. I'm gonna die to critical, nasty, mean, judgmental spirit, and I am gonna begin to live for you. I'm dying to that thing. I'm sacrificing it. That's, That's the bronze laver, or the bronze altar. And so we get to that, and, and then we move from that, and there's so much. I just wish I could park there for a while and talk to you uh, about that. But, but we get to that, that bronze altar, and, 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 and then we go on to uh, the, the next place, and that is the, Don, can you put the picture back up? How about the other one? Did we lose Don? No. Can you give me the diagram? Next is the, the labor, or, or it's a brazen labor, and, and here's where the priests would wash and they would cleanse before entering into God's presence, and it's important that we wash and cleanse. Who can come in? Who can extend the high hill of holiness? Only him with clean hands and a pure heart. 
So the priest would, would wash and cleanse there before they entered into his presence. And here is what really strikes me. Do you know why it was bronze? Because the women would give their mirrors. God said, take, collect their mirrors. Oh, women, we like our mirrors, don't we? And they melted those mirrors down and they made this, this, this labor, this wash, wash basin. <laughs> so that means that every time the priest would come to wash, what would they see? Their reflection in that labor. Oh, what does the Bible say we wash with? The washing of the, oh, come on, you're smarter than this, guys. The washing of the word. You see, every morning when I get up and I sit in this word, <laughs> I sit in it till it sits in me. Can I just tell you? And when I get up and I, I, I open up this word and the Bible calls the word a mirror. James says the mirror, it's a mirror. It's when I look into the word of God and I begin to see a reflection of myself that's true. Oh, I hate mirrors because they give me a reflection of how old I am. They give me a reflection of my wrinkles. They give me a reflection of my weight. They're accurate. Can I just tell you? And, and a mirror, <laughs> the mirror of God's word is accurate. And when I look into it in the morning, I don't look into it for Dave. I don't look into it for Leslie. I don't look into it for my kids. I look at, see, that's where we go wrong. I wish somebody could hear this message. It would be really good for them. No, it's for you. I found the scripture. It's really good for you. No, it's for you. You're washing we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, then we wash, we wash, we wash, day by wash. Do I not I wash in this word? Because I'm dirty. And when I open it up, I, I begin reading, and maybe not at first, but I, I begin reading and I'm like, ugh, I see that. I got a smudge in that mirror, and I just need, if I saw a smudge, if I went out to the bathroom right now and looked in the mirror and I had mascara down my cheek, would I let it there? No, I would wash the thing off. And so when God exposes something to me in his word and he washes over me with his word to remove it, I don't fight it and say, no, 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 Lord, that's for somebody else. I say, get it off of me, Lord. I don't want that. I don't want it in my life. So when I, I love that that, that that basin was made from mirrors so it would reflect. The word reflects. It reveals our sin. It reveals what's inside of us. It reveals what we don't want to see. Ephesians 5.26 says that we are washed and cleansed daily in the word. As we wash daily in the word, our mind is cleared. We're sanctified and set apart. And, and I always keep that in mind before I enter his presence. I want you to see there, the Bible says that it's by grace that we've been saved. And, and when we accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, it's just as if we've never sinned. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's called justification. That's the bronze altar. But there's another process, it's called sanctification. It's a setting apart, it's a consecrating yourself. And that happens at the altar, at the bronze, at the bronze labor, at the, at the basin where we wash. And when I get up in the morning, it's not because I want to earn my way to heaven. People say, Rhea, you're striving in the word. Are you kidding me? I am just washing is what I'm doing. I'm asking the Lord to sanctify me, to set me apart, to make me look a little different than the unbeliever down the street. That's sanctification and, and church, we're called to it. Justification, he does it for me. Sanctification, I cooperate with him. And so we get to that, that bronze labor, and that's where, that's where the sanctification happens. I begin to see myself in his word. Now, I want to just stay with me because this is a little deep. But if I were, this is three separate places. We have a, an outer court, an inner court, 
and the Holy of Holies. See those three places? I read a commentator who said, really, they symbolize man, who is a three-part being. You see, we're three parts, just like the Trinity. We have, we have a body. We live in a body. We are a spirit. Uh, this room is full of spirits. I don't mean to gross you out or, or freak you out, but I'm just telling you, this room is full of spirits. You just happen to live in a body. You're housed in a body. God is a spirit. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. We are spirits. Spirit beings, we live in a body because it would be, you know, it's how we get around. <laughs> and we have a soul. And our soul is our mind, our will, our emotions. And see, sometimes that's what fasting is all about. We're teaching you to, to be led by the spirit in you and not by your mind, your will, your emotions, your appetites. So we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body, three parts. Oh, done, that's good. Look at that. So the outer court is the body, the, the soul is the inner court, the mind, the will, the emotions. That's the inner court is where we deal with the mind, the will, the emotions. And the, the spirit is the holy of holies. Keep that in the back of your mind. Okay, Don, back to the other picture. So it's those three separate parts. So remember, we are the tabernacle, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Those three separate parts are important. And, and so what I want you to see here, and Lord, help me to say this like you taught me. I, I just, uh, one of the things that's my pet peeve is that we're not dealing with our soul. You see, when you and I accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our spirit man was made new. My body is decaying. Someday it's gonna go back to the dust of the earth. It's really decaying. But my soul, my soul, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, my mind was not made new. That's why the Bible says that we need to renew our minds. We need to be transformed. That's where the transformation is going to take place. Not in getting a new spirit. I've already got one. But it's in retraining my mind and making my mind new. You see, we are led, especially women. I'm just going to tell you, we are led by our emotions. We let our mind play games with us. We meditate on stuff we shouldn't be meditating on. We think about stuff we shouldn't be thinking about. We want something, so we go after it, and we feed our appetite. That's our soul. And even though our spirit man was made new and is born again, oh, can I tell you, this thing needs transformed. And my pet peeve in the church is that we are not dealing with the soul. We're not dealing with the mind. We're not calling people into account for, for, for this kind of stuff. We are not getting our soul man dealt with. Oh, we're exercising for our body. <laughs> We're thanking the Lord that he made our man new in our new spirit, but we're not dealing with our soul life. We're dismissing it. We're, we're, we're not even concerned about it. And so then as we, as we get here, I, I just want to, to, um, to just try to flesh this out for you. You see, there's a door right there. You see after the labor, there's a red line that's the door the door separated the outer court from the inner court that means if i'm standing in the outer court i still can't see what's going on in the inner court so church if we're content to stay in the outer court where everybody else is if we're content if we're content to just slip through by the skin of our teeth and say i'm saved and going to heaven i got through the gate i've accepted the atoning sacrifice of the cross of calvary I might read his word now and then. I'm almost stay here. 
it's veiled. The Bible says that the things of the spirit are spiritually discerned and the natural man can't understand them. It's gonna be veiled. There are some things that are veiled and you have to go deeper. You have to press on to be able to see that realization to come into the deeper things of Christ. I'm just being real with you. You have to. But you see, there's a door there. Who is the door? Jesus. Again, he's the way, the truth, and the life. But when I go through that door, that's where my soul gets surrendered. That outer court is my body. It's the stuff I'm dealing with out here. But that inner, that door is where my soul gets surrendered. In the outer court, my body did. I I presented myself as a living sacrifice, but now I'm going into the holy place. Now it's not a gate, it's a door. There are three things in this holy place, if you can see it. The menorah, which is the lampstand. The bread, it's also called the bread of presence. We're gonna get back to that. And the incense. Those were three things that were in this uh, holy place. And so the priest would go through that door and he would get into that holy place and wait a second, I wanna go back to the, the bronze altar. The Lord just reminded me of something that I just wanna point out to you. I told you that the fires were always burning in the bronze altar. That blessed my heart when I read that. It was constant. They were always burning. It never went out. And it's a picture of Christ saying, I've extended my forgiveness. I've extended the sacrifice that I made. Come any time. Come any time. It's always there being offered. We just have to choose to come. So back to the door. I go through the door and I see the lampstand. I see the, the showbread and I see the the um, incense, and and those are symbolic of a lot of things. You'll see a lot of commentators talk about what they are, but I I just want to give you my understanding of it. You see that bread, there was a table that had bread on it, and it was called the, 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 the bread of presence. And, and who does, who is Christ called? He is called the bread of life. I think it's symbolic of him. But also, uh, when we read the word, the Bible talks about feasting on his word. Oh, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, every time I get in this word, this bread, when I eat of this bread of life, it comes alive in me. Because the word became life and dwelt among us. Or the, the, the God became the, the word. Read it. Let's turn over to John. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, And and let's just go there, John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Oh, I love it. He is the word. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt means tabernacled. He became the tabernacle. The word right here. The bread of life. You see, when I read this word, I get life. I'm just telling you. When I I don't read it, you see, what happens out here in the labor, I just read it. Mm -hmm. That's good. It's talking to me. I'm seeing my reflection in it. But see, when I get inside the holy place, you see, some mornings I get up. Oh, I just, uh, Karis, you're going to understand this. Some mornings I just get up and, and I just read. And it's okay. And I could get up and say, I'm just not really getting anything out of this this morning. But Karis, what happens when we sit with that word? We sit with us, sit with it till it sits with me. I sit there till he speaks to me. I'm not leaving till you speak to me, Lord. You're, you are the word, and in you the word speaks. 
And I am going to sit here till you speak to me. If I have to read the same verse over 10 million times, I'm going to read it till you speak. You see, that's tarrying. That's abiding in his presence. I'm getting into his presence. I'm reading. I'm on the outer court. I'm heading on to the inner court. And all of a sudden, I read something, and I'm like, has that always been there before? Davey, how many times have I come running upstairs and, and woke Dave up and I'd be like, you never believe what I just read. This is so cool. This is so great. Do you know what happens? The lampstand. Light. Symbolic of revelation. You see, the aha moment, the rhema moment happens when you go a little deeper. <laughs> when you tarry, when you abide in his presence, when you wait till he speaks, when you're not quick. The Bible says don't be quick to leave the presence of a king. <laughs> we are so quick to leave his presence. We got so many better things we think we could be doing. Are you kidding me? Your real life is hidden in Christ and God. Something hidden has to be sought after. Has to be discovered. You discover something by sticking with it. And so I get through the door and, and I'm, I'm feasting on his bread. What really strikes me, oh Lord, stay with me, at the table that the bread set on. The Lord had some specific instructions for that table. He says, I want you to put some frankincense on it. I began to just dig. I wanted to know because you see frankincense is something that they brought the baby Jesus. So I wanted to know what frankincense really stood for in the Bible. The, the Bible dictionary said to me that frankincense was really symbolic of prayer because it was fragrant. And you know the, the incense are fragrance, the, fr the prayers are fragrant before God. That's why incense burns and it's symbolic of prayer of intercession and that's a fragrance that's pleasing to God. Are you with me? They burned incense. They burned fragrant, uh, frankincense in that. But they didn't burn this. It was just sprinkled on the table and then the bread put on top of it. I wanted to know why. And then I remembered. When I get up in the morning to study, I never open this word until I get through this passage. Call me crazy if you want. Say I'm being legalistic. I really don't care. I'm telling you, it works. Because I believe this is a type and shadow of how we are to get into the presence of God. I just believe it. And so when I get up in the morning or, or several times throughout my day, I will enter his courts with thanksgiving. I just thank you, Lord, that you're who you say you are. I thank you that you're powerful, that you're mighty, that you are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my healer. I thank you that you're Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. I thank you that you're who you, you are mighty to save. I thank you that you have saved me, that you delivered me, that you redeemed me. I, I just begin to thank him. And then I enter his courts with praise. Thank you, Lord, that you don't treat me like my sins deserve. And I just begin to praise him. And I'm in his courts now. And then I pause and I was like, Lord, I, I, I wanted to do this. I wanted to say this. I can't even believe I did this. And would you just forgive me for this? And I can't even, I thank you that the blood of Jesus cleanses. I thank you that it's been poured out for me. But, but Lord, I've already had a bath and I understand that. But my feet are a little dirty right now. And I need to just pause and let you wash me again. Wash me and cleanse me. Because the Bible says if you confess your sins, and it's John, a believer, talking to believers, if you, if we, he's including himself, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Where are we getting off that we don't need to confess sin anymore? That's craziness. That is a lie from the pit of hell is what that is. 
And so we don't pause anymore to wash. Baby, I pause. Leslie, do I not pause every time we go to preach? I pause. Can I tell you? I pause. I'm like, Lord, I just need you to wash me. I need you to wash my mind. I need you to cleanse me. I want his presence when I preach. I don't just want to stand up here and not have his presence. If your presence isn't going with me, I'm not going, Lord. I'm not going up on that stage. If you're not going with me, I'm sitting in that seat till you do. So I pause. So in the morning, I pause, and I'm like, Lord, I just, and I begin to just confess and let him wash me. I let his word wash me. And then, baby, I'm trucking into his presence because I can come boldly. And I begin to open his word, and I start getting that rhema, that aha moment, the revelation, the lampstand starts to come. He shines his light on it, and he, he begins to show me things I didn't see before. And, oh, my goodness, that aha moment. But what I really realized is that I can't get the aha moment without the frankincense. Lord, this is a supernatural book. I can't even begin to understand it in my natural man. I need you to give me understanding. I need you to give me wisdom. I need you to give me insight. Lord, would you just come? Would you come sit at this table with me? Will you just come and speak to me? The Bible says that I don't need a teacher, that your Holy Spirit will teach me. You just come and teach me. That's the frankincense. And then the aha moment comes. And guess what happens when the aha moment comes? I start to be ye transformed by the renewing of my mind. Now, what did I say the holy place was? Body, outer, outer court, holy place is your soul. Are you with me? Am I losing you? Anybody is just rocking your boat? Yeah. So, so you get to the holy place. That's where your soul is dealt with. You cannot get mended souls until you spend it in this word. You can't get your mind renewed unless you're spending it in the truth because the enemy will whisper lies and you have a choice. Will I believe the lies the enemy's whispering or will I believe the truth of the word of God? I inspire you as coming up at Elmbrook and they asked me to teach on the, on the lies women believe about their, their image. Oh, I can't wait. I'm so excited about this because the lies are the whispers of the enemy and if we just got in here and discovered who we were, who God says we are. Man, would our life be transformed. But see, that doesn't happen in the outer court. So if you're an outer court believer, you're not ever gonna get your mind renewed and you're gonna be full of anxiety, full of fear. You're gonna be messing up your marriage because you're gonna be carnally minded. You're gonna just be, you know, I don't have to do, deal with my soul man. But when you start getting closer to his presence, all that stuff starts taking care of itself and then you get to that incense, and the incense, they, they say the incense was burning so much that it would have slipped under the, 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 the curtain. See, there was a curtain, a veil, that separated that place from the presence of God. And you could only go in there once a year as a priest. That's why Jesus had to, when he was crucified, the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. It was torn, because he didn't want you just to go there once a year. He wanted you to abide and to dwell, Psalm 91, in the presence of the Most High God. But the incense, I wanted to know about it because at that time, the veil was still there and the veil separated that holy place from the most holy place. And the incense, the, the commentator said, would have been burning so much that it would have smoked up 
the most holy place. It would have, the incense would have filled that room. And, and so, you know, some commentators say that the, the incense was symbolic of our prayers. And you know, when you get into that place of revelation, the aha moment, the rhema word, when you're really in his word, that the prayers, you'll pray according to his word and they'll be effective prayers. And that's true. But the Bible says that Jesus ever liveth to do what? Oh, there it is again. The gate, the door, the mediator the interceder, the one who lives to make intercession for us. Remember the incense, symbolic of intercession of prayers going forth. After you get through all of that, maybe then you get in his presence. And in his presence, there's fullness of joy. In his presence is a place of safety and security. That's the place of Psalm 91. But we don't ever experience it because we're so content to experience the false life that we think we can find in other sources. We're so content to just go through the motions of Christianity because it's the right thing to do. It's what we've been trained we should do. But really, we've never experienced the presence of God. We preach without power because we've never experienced the presence of God. You see, when we walk into that holy of holies, the most holy place, we're overwhelmed by his presence. We're overwhelmed by his power. Do you not want that in your life? You see, what I've realized is that when I'm living carnally, when I'm letting my flesh have its way, and I'm not giving heed to God's word, and I'm really content to stand the outer court, there's no real victory in my life. There's no real power in my life. I want to be a dweller. I don't just want to visit. I don't just want to stay overnight, to lodge overnight. I want to learn what it means to truly dwell in his presence, because when I look at Psalm 91 and all the protection that that affords, why in your right mind would you not want to be there? I love that that bread was called the bread of presence, not just the, the um, show bread, it was called the bread of his presence. One of the commentators I read saw, said it was also called the, the, the bread of the face, because remember, seek my face. Seek my presence. If you seek me with all your heart, you will be found by me. If you're not content to just stay in the outer courts, you will be found by me. Oh, you can still receive all the beauty of what I've done for you. You can, you can still receive the sacrifice of Calvary, and you can live saved and go into heaven, but really pretty powerless but it's when we press through. Don't be quick to leave the presence of a king, Ecclesiastes says. Do you know that he is the king of kings? Don't be quick to leave his presence. This week, be intentional about being a dweller. Be intentional about spending time. It's not, please hear me. See, I don't want you to leave here condemned. I'm not spending time in the word. I don't read. I don't pray. I don't, I don't read the Bible like that. This is not about condemnation. 
God doesn't want you to be con condemned. There is now therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This is about the more of God that I want you to experience. There is more. There is more. I want more. I'm not content where I'm at. You see, when I get in his presence, I'm a different person. Davy, am I a different person? I'm a different person. My flesh isn't as active when I'm in his presence. My family can tell you. Mikey, when, when, when the kids were growing up, our son Mikey, I would be cooking dinner and getting grouchy because you're cooking for seven people, for nine people. It's, it's full house and it's grouchy. And, and I was tired. And, and, and if I would get grouchy, Mikey would go over and put praise and worship music on in the kitchen because he understood I got to get her in his presence. <laughs> my family can tell you when I've been in the word and when I haven't. It's that clear in my life. I wish it wasn't. I'm not a good pretender. I can't put on a good face. My real life is hidden with him, and I got to go searching for the life that only he can give. And that's my prayer for you this week. May you become a dweller. I want, I want to be a dweller. Take a look at that passage again. See the benefits of dwelling in his presence, of making him your dwelling place place where you abide, where you live, where you sit down and rest in his presence. It's a place of rest, you know. But I want to pray for you before you leave, those of you that are going to leave. I, I just want to ask him to give you a hunger because we can't work up a hunger on our own. We can't. Just like we're saved by grace, we need grace for all this to, to empower us to do the things that he's called us to do. I need grace to read his word. I need grace to obey his word. I need grace. It's all dependent on grace. God's enabling power. That's what grace means. God's enabling power. Not a free get out of jail card, get out of jail free card. God's enabling power. He's going to enable you to do what he's called you to do. It's him anyway. Not even us. Even that, he, enabled, he does. But you don't have the power to work up a hunger. He has to do it in you. And so I want to pray for that right now. I'm going to ask if you just stand to your feet. Father, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider, the lover of our soul, our strong tower, the one who we run to and we're safe, our deliverer, our friend that sits closer than a brother, the one who knows us all by name. Lord, we just come to you right now. And Father, I thank you that you know each person in this room by name. You know them intimately. You know every detail about their life. Nothing's hidden from your eyes. That's a place of freedom. Can I tell you, nothing is hidden from God's eyes. He's seen everything you've done. He's seen everything. He's heard everything you've said. He's seen the rotten places you've been. And guess what? He loves you anyway. Nothing you can do to separate you from that love. And so, Father, I thank you that you do know all about us. So we don't have to hide anymore. We can come out of hiding because your arms are stretched wide open and you invite us to come boldly into your presence. And so, Father, I want to pray right now. I want to pray for a stirring, a hunger for more of you, Lord. 
Lord, we want to stop seeking life from the things of this world. And I pray, Father, that you would just let us discover that our fullness of life, the real life, all that we hunger for, all that we thirst after, Lord, can only be found in you. Father, will you stir that in us? Stir a hunger, a thirst after righteousness. Lord, I pray for a thirst after righteousness in this place. That we would no longer be content to do things our way. Father, that we would want to, to walk in your ways. Lord, your word says that you revealed your deeds to the Israelites, but you revealed your ways to Moses. Mm. Lord, more than I care about your deeds, your miracles, your signs and wonders, I want to know your ways. I want you to talk to me face to face like you talk to a friend. And so, Lord, whatever you need to do in us, do, Father. Draw us into that place of intimacy, that place of connection, that place of oneness with you. And stir a hunger and a desire deep within our soul for more of you, for the more of God. There are secret things of God. Lord, we want to know them. We're not content to be out, outer court dwellers, Lord God. We want to abide, to, to dwell, to live in your presence. To experience the life abundant that you died for us to have. And so, Father, I pray right now for, for, this, for, for the minds present in this room tonight, the minds that have been bent, that have been twisted by the things of this world, the minds that have been influenced by, by the lies that have been spoken over them, the distortions that were deposited in them, the minds that are dwelling on things they should not be dwelling on, that have been poisoned with impurity and the things of this world. Lord, I pray. I pray for a purging to take place tonight. A cleansing, Lord. Cleanse and purify the thought processes. You've given us a sound mind, Lord. I pray for minds that are filled with anxiety and fear. You've not given us a spirit of fear. You gave us a sound mind and a spirit of power. I pray that for minds that are set on doing things their way, for minds that are filled with rebellion and disobedience, Lord God, I pray that you would, you would just nuzzle them close. Give them a revelation of who you are, Lord God of your goodness, of the protection that's found in your word. Carry us close this week, Lord. Perfect all that concerns each person in this room. Lord, I pray that we would not be content with mediocre Christianity. That we would not relish in religion. But Lord, that this would be real. That what we have with you would be real, undeniable. And that we would not be satisfied with status quo. 
Lord, I pray for emotions in this room, mind, well, emotions. That's the soul. I pray for the people who have been so broken by things in their past. Heartache. Oh, Lord God, I thank you that you came to bind up the brokenhearted. People that have been wounded so deeply, Lord. For those who might be an emotional basket case, Lord God. I pray, Father, for a touch from you tonight. For healing deep within their soul. Gentle, Father. Surround them with songs of deliverance. And minister to them like only you can, Father. And Lord, mind, will, emotions, and our physical appetites. I pray, Lord God, for the physical appetites. I'm not talking about food. I'm talking about physical appetites that want sex outside of marriage. By sleeping with somebody they should not be sleeping with. Looking at stuff they should not be looking at. The lust of the flesh, Lord God. Never satisfied always wanting more. Lust, lust, lust after the things of this world. Lord, I pray that you would restrain those physical appetites. Lord, you say that no temptation has seized us but what's common to man and that when we are tempted, you will always give us a way out. Lord, I pray that this week they would ask for a way out. And they would take it, Lord God, that they would not be content to be living that, that livacious lifestyle anymore. they would present themselves as a living sacrifice. Let you purge that, purify that. Wash, Lord, wash. I pray that as we wash this week in your word, Father, that we would get an accurate reflection. Not a reflection that causes condemnation. that one that brings change, Lord God, that conforms us into the image of God. Oh, Lord, you reminded me. Thank you. Let this mind be in you. The same mind that was in Christ Jesus. I like that scripture. Let, allow this same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. We have to let it. Allow it. That happens in that holy place. In the presence of the rhema word, in the presence of the revelation of who you are, and in the presence of the lover of our soul. That our mind gets made new. And we can let that same mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. Give us a desire to deal with the soul man this week, Lord. Fire, Lord. I pray for fire. Fire, Lord. Deep within their soul that they can't contain. They can't control. Passion, Lord. I pray for passion. People, I, I want to pray for the passionless people here. People who are just getting by. People who are dealing with depression and despair. And my life is hard. Lord, I pray for 
passion. Passion. Passion for more of you. I pray that you would stir in them such a desire for more of you that they would be relentless in their pursuit of you. That they would have no time to wallow in despair. Lord God, that they would be so busy chasing after the things of God. Because it's in your presence that our life, our full life, our real life is hidden. Spirit, rain down in this place. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both encouraged and challenged to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ.